0: you <laughs> church? Yes. Want to welcome all of you here at Bendorf, for Rock Island family, those tuning in online, and the men at Kiwani. I'm so glad you're all here as we start a conversation about money. And for some of you, that sparks interest and curiosity, but for some of you, there's a little worry and concern about where this is going to go. And then there are a few who are actually so uncomfortable, you're irritated and you're thinking about leaving. But please, before you lock into that, know this that we understand that finances can be a place of stress, living within our means can be difficult, and the messages we get from the world about how to handle our treasure can be complicated and confusing. But our God has very clear instructions about treasure that are simple and helpful and practical. Yet I realize this subject matter can be a bit uncomfortable. It can actually be considered one of those off-limits or taboo things, things not to be talked about. It ranks right up there with with sex and politics. It's sex, money, and politics are private matters. They fall into the nunya category. You know what that is? Nunya business category. (laughs) And I get it. But listen, I love you too much not to talk about this. Jesus talked about money more than any other subject, with maybe the exception of kingdom. Eleven of his 39 recorded parables are about money. And we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the things that he talked about most. Yet, still, I get that it's uncomfortable. So I kind of want to rip off the bandage. I want to go deep fast. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to wait to do it until I tell you to. But in a moment, I want you to turn to somebody, preferably somebody you didn't come to church with today. In a moment, I want you to turn to somebody and I want you to tell them how much you made last year and how much you gave last year. Does it sound good? (laughs) Are you ready? No! No, no, we're not going to do that. I don't, I don't want you to do that. But I do want you to turn to somebody do I want you to say, we're going to talk about money. Rock Island, get in on this. Turn to somebody and say, we're going to talk about money. Go ahead and do it. We're going to talk about money. Tell them it's going to be okay. Say, it's going to be okay. Tell them because Jesus talked about money. Tell them that because Jesus talked about money. Listen, I I have no intention of prying, I I, I don't even intend on telling you what to do today. I simply want to create a space where we look at what Jesus said so that each of us are positioned to decide if there is anything that we need to change in how we handle our treasure to experience the favor and blessing of God. Just want to create this space to see what, if anything, may need to change. See, whenever we talk about money, no matter who we, who we are, where we come from, whether, whether we have a lot or have little— No matter who we are, everybody at some point either intersects, crosses over, or lands in this question, who has what? Doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, how much you have or how little you have, at some point we all end up touching or landing in this particular question, who has what? We all ask the question, but we all ask it differently. In fact, even the world asks this question, they want to know who has more, who has the most, who has excess, whoever does therefore has power and they win. That's how the world looks at this question. You and I as individuals can actually lean into this question and, and we can be thinking in terms of, well, whoever has more must be more important. Whoever has a lot must be more valuable. That's how we can engage this question. But when, when God engages this question. He's asking who has trust, who has dependence, who has priority. No matter who we are, when it comes to money, we all end up asking this question. It's about the question, who has what? And we can engage the question around luxury and quantity and, and comfort and power, or we can actually step back and look at that question through the eyes of God who's actually looking at alignment. He's asking who has us who has our trust, who has our heart, who ultimately even has our focus. We all ask the question, who has what? Now, this is a $100 bill. And it, like every other currency in our country, has on it somewhere the words, in God we trust. Now, it hasn't always had that. In fact, it was all the way back into the time of the Civil War where the conversation was happening and just recognizing that the well-being of our nation was connected to the hand of God and that we needed to trust in Him. And so it was 1864 when those words were first minted on a coin. It was kind of sporadic after that until the 1900s when those words were minted consistently in all of our coinage. But it wasn't until 1957 that it was placed on our paper currency. And whether you think it's a good idea or not, The reality that it sits there on our currency begs a question of us. Do we? It begs a question of us individually, as a community, even as a nation. Do we trust in him? Who or what has our trust? Where do we place our trust? And because of that, we're having a two-week conversation about money, but it's not ultimately about money, it's about having trust. The focus is not having money, the focus is having trust. Because fundamentally in the conversation, in this journey, trust, trust is a key factor. And I want to start by actually going to the biblical definition of trust as it's used as a verb. Here's what it is. Trust, to have trust or confidence in, rely or depend on. That is what it means to trust in, to believe, to, to place our hope and confidence in someone or something. That's what it means to trust. And we, and, and we put trust in lots of spaces and places. And, and it's all well and good. We, we do it all the time. We did it. On, on your way here today, you trusted in the brakes on your car. You also, well this week, trust in your coworkers with projects and work. Well, we, we place our trust in lots of different spaces and places. We placed our trust in utility company to have power and water and heat, especially this last week. But we also trusted in the chair that we sat in as we gathered in this space and our other spaces as a church. And it's highly likely not many, if any, actually tested the trustworthiness of the chair before you sat. <laughs> Anybody test their chair? Probably not. I mean, you looked fine, you trusted the materials, you were working on the track record of being in this space and other spaces in the past and it didn't fall apart. You trust the church maintenance plans. We, It's all fine and well and good to put our trust in places and spaces. We do it all the time. But when it comes to the most important things, when it comes to treasure, where we place our treasure, where we place our trust is key. It, it becomes a question of who has what. You know, King David uh, he ruled over Israel for a number of years, and he wrote a number of psalms. And, and something he said in Psalm 20, verse 7, it's not in your guide, it's just up here. He said this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Where we place our trust is key. It becomes a question of who has what. Now, one of my favorite jokes to tell any time we talk about money as a church is happens to be one of my favorite jokes and, and if you've heard it before that's okay it's still funny I want to tell it to you again because it helps us lean into this conversation really well it frames it for us and helps us understand the principles so here we go it's a story of two men who are stranded on a deserted island the first man is walking frantically and pacing along the shoreline it's talking about how they don't have water don't have food don't have shelter and they're gonna die the other man the second man is leaning calmly against the only palm tree on the island. The first man says to the second man, how in the world can you be so calm? We have no water, we have no food, we have no shelter, we are going to die. The second man, having had his eyes closed, opens one of his eyes and looks at the first man and says, you don't understand. I make $100,000 a week. And he closed his eye and continued to rest. Flabbergasted. Flabbergasted dumbfounded. The first man says, what in the world? What does that have anything to do with the fact that we're stranded on a deserted island and we're going to die? The second man opened up both eyes this time, looked at the other man and said, no, you don't understand. I make a hundred thousand dollars a week. I tithe in my church. My pastor will find me. (laughs) Where we place our trust can impact a lot of different things in healthy ways and unhealthy ways. Where we place our trust is key, especially if it's misplaced. And and Jesus was someone who taught trust in lots of different ways. He did it with his disciples. He did it in the early onset of inviting them to follow him. He did it for Peter and calling Peter out of the boat to walk on water. He taught trust in lots of different ways. He understood that where we place our trust matters. And And our nation's leaders in 1864, when that first coin was minted, understood that where we place our trust matters. Just as Jesus understood that our money, our possessions, our our resources, our, our finances can vie for that trust they can compete for that trust so in a teaching that is captured in Matthew chapter six, 5, 6 and 7 called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches a whole bunch of things but one of the things he talks about is treasure he talks about money, he talks about our possessions here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6 He says, Do not store up treasures, store for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's very straightforward instruction from Jesus. But let me be clear. Just to make it super clear, he is not saying don't have treasure. If that's your takeaway, that would be the wrong takeaway. He's saying don't put your trust in it. Don't find your security in it. When he's saying these words, he's not saying that we shouldn't have treasure. He he doesn't say that. He just says, don't trust in it. When he says, don't lay up, he's not just talking about don't have possessions. He's talking about our possessions not having us. It's a question and topic of who has what. And when we look at the words lay up, we could actually more literally translate them, don't hoard, don't stockpile. See, we can and should have resources. We need them for life. We need them to be healthy. He's saying you can have things, just don't let things have you. Don't let them have your heart. Don't let them have your trust. Literally, he's saying don't treasure treasure. He was warning against allowing or trusting in our possessions more than trusting in him. Where we find confidence in them. We place our trust in them. We, we put our stability and hope in those things that we possess. He's saying, don't do that. That's not where our treasure should be. Look, you and I, we were created to love and use the right way. This is your next feeling if you're using your guide today. We were created to love and use the right way, the, the right things. What I mean by this is that we were created by God to love God and use things. We are created to love God and use things. When when God created us, He intended that we would love Him and use the things of creation. We are created to love and use the right way. One way you can think about it like this We are created to love people and use things. We are not created to love things and use people, but we easily can slip into that. We are created to love and use the right way. Let's check this out. All the way back to the beginning in Genesis when, when God created humanity, right after he does that, he does two things. The first of which is this. He said he blesses and God blessed them. So after he created humanity, he blessed them. God loves. God loves you. He wants to bless. It's his heart's desire to pour out blessings. It's the first thing he did. He blessed. The second thing is he said this, be fruitful and multiply, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It was a command to rule. It was a command to steward, a command to manage the things of the earth and creation, to love him but to use things. We were created to love him but use the rest of creation. We were created to love him and love others while using things. And when we get it wrong, everybody suffers. When we get that wrong and backwards, everybody suffers. We were created to love and use the right way. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. We have what God said in in Genesis chapter 1, but I actually want to dive into something that Jesus said, and He did it in the context of a parable. And a parable is a simple story with a spiritual truth. And this parable is actually found in Matthew 25, so if you have your own Bible, I invite you to go ahead and turn there. If not, you can follow along on the screen or in your note guide. But in Matthew chapter 25, we find a number of things. but. There's this one parable that's called the the parable of the three bags of gold, the parable of the three servants, or the parable of the talents. And I want to be clear that when we when we talk about talents, we're not talking about abilities or skills. Uh, The word talents comes from a Greek word that was a a measure of weight. It was a a measurement of weight. It wasn't a coin. A A talent was not a coin. A talent was a measurement of weight, and depending on what was being weighed, whether it kind of was gold or silver, whatever that bag, what was in that bag, gold, silver, or some other precious metal, the value of that talent could vary some. But a talent was a weight of measurement and and not a currency. But in in thinking and looking through history and understanding the context of the talent, it was often equated to 6,000 denarii, and a denarii was a currency, So the one talent was the equivalent of 6,000 denarii and 6,000 denarii was the equivalent of 20 years wages. So one talent equaled 20 years wages. So here's what happens in this parable. There's a master who calls three of his servants together and he says I'm gonna go on a trip and he ends up giving each of them a certain amount of talents or bags of gold if you would. To the first one he gives five talents which would be the equivalent of 100 years wages. To the second, he gives two talents. Which would be the equivalent of 40 years' wages. And then to the last one, he gives one talent. Which would be the equivalent of 20 years' wages. This is not a story about quantity. This is a story about who has what. After giving these servants their talents, he takes off on a trip for a long time. The first servant with five goes off and invests those five and gets five more. The second servant takes those two, invests them, and gets two more. And the third servant, with just one, ends up burying it. After a long period of time, the, servant, the master comes back and he calls his servants together to call them to account for what they did with what he gave them. And this is where we're picking this up. This is in Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 24. Again, this is not about quantity, this is about who has what. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a man, oh, you were a hard man. He said, I knew. Say, I knew. so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags Forever has will be given more and they will have an abundance whoever does not have even though even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth well that turned quickly <laughs> and you may think that seems harsh and even excessive but this was not about money This was about who has what. It wasn't about money. That master invested 8 talents and was going to receive 15. He nearly doubled his investment. This was not about losing money, this was not about money, this was about who has what. About who had his heart, whose heart did he have, whose trust did he have, whose loyalty did he have. It was about who has what and who has what matters. It matters. It's not just a question to be asked. The answer actually matters when it comes to who has what. And when it comes to asking that question, again, Jesus understands the value of this question. He understands that who has what matters. But when he asks the question, he's not, he's not trying to figure out if we have possessions. He's trying to figure out if possessions have us. And everybody asks this question. But when, when the world asks the question, it's different. See, we can look at this and say, okay, who, this is God, or us, or even others. Who? When it comes to has, well, this is really who holds, who's, who's leading, who's determining. And then the what? Well, okay, that's obviously money, it's, it's trust, it's also dependence, but it's also heart. And, and and although these are distinctly different things, Jesus says they're all connected. See when, when the world asks this question, they're trying to figure out who has what to know who has what value. They're trying to determine identity, they're they're trying to see based on what we hold, what value that thing holds, what value do we have. The world engages this in a very different way, but Jesus when he actually engages this question he's trying to figure out who has trust. Where is the trust being placed? Where is dependence being placed? Who has the heart of that dearly loved child of God? Where is the money? Because it's connected to the heart. Jesus Jesus says, man, they they're they're independent but they're all also just connected as well. Who who has what actually matters. And when it comes to that third servant, the the dude with the one bag, one talent person, 20 years wages, it's important to understand his who has what dynamic. Because if you think about him, when you think about in his who has what dynamic, he held the trust. He trusted in himself. He held the money. He depended on his own abilities. And he didn't have his master's heart. See, the only thing he gave his master was fear. He didn't even give him respect. If he would given him respect, he would have put the money in the bank and at least come up with interest. The only thing that third servant gave his master was fear. Everything else he held. Out of self-preservation, out of love of self, out of uh, being afraid to lose. He, he didn't... He he didn't love and use the right way at all. And he got a very strong response from his master because this is ultimately about heart. It's about loyalty. It's about trust. It's about dependence. It's not ultimately about the money dynamic. And that servant knew, but he didn't do. He didn't have a healthy perspective of who his master was. Instead, he had a very unhealthy perspective of risk and failure. He held everything. He didn't extend trust to his master, he didn't even love his master well, he just feared him. See, when when it comes to money, who has what matters, it, it matters. God created us to love him and to use the things of creation, but far too easily we slip into loving the things and using people. And it always goes sideways. It's never good when we do that. And we can do it not just with our money and treasure. We can do it with other things like our time. We can do it with our influence, our authority. We can easily end up using people and loving things. And it's never good who has what matters. What what we do with what we have matters. And that third servant, the third dude, man, he helps us see that when we Hold to the things we have in a certain way. They have us. And it's never good. And it costs. We should actually hold what we have with open hands. We should hold it loosely. We should hold it with an understanding of the heart and priority of our Master. Anytime we hold the things that we have, understanding that He's the giver of good gifts, and we hold them with open hands and we're faithful with them, well, then we can end up actually having more. Being faithful with a little, we can be actually given faith for, for a lot. See, when the, when the first and second servants came back into the dynamic, and they said, I had five and I earned five, I had two and I earned two, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's party. Who has what matters. And this parable is not about quantity. It's not even about money being evil or about some crazy prosperity we should all have. This is about obedience and trust. It's about faithfulness over fear. And, and, and actually right before Jesus, right after Jesus said, look, don't store up treasures in, on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. Right after that, he says something that frames the who, have, who has what matters in a very unique way. He said this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a fact. This is why Jesus taught so much about money. He said that that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Not can be or could be, will be. Our heart follows our treasure. Our heart that was created to follow him can follow it. Because our heart wasn't created to lead. Our heart was created to follow. And if we're not careful, it won't follow the one who we were created by. It'll follow the things we value and hold to, the things that have us. Our heart was not created to lead, but to follow. That's one of the reasons why in Proverbs 4, verse 20, uh, 23, it says, Above all else guard your heart, for it is, uh, everything we do flows from that. That's how important that is. Our heart follows our treasure, who has what matters. And let me tell you, God does not want your money. He wants your heart but your heart follows your treasure. You know, Jesus did not elevate the conversation around money to get money. That's not why he did it. He did it so he could have our hearts, so that we could love and use the right way. He didn't elevate the conversation because it's wrong to have possessions. There is nothing wrong with having possessions. There, there is nothing wrong with having savings or being financially health, healthy or having a successful career. There's nothing wrong with that. And let me tell you, Jesus never made poverty a virtue. Our God, who loves us, wants to bless. He, he blessed in the beginning. He seeks to bless us even now consistently through Scripture. We can see that over and over again. He even blessed people with wealth. Whether it's Abraham or Job or David or Joseph of Arimathea or Barnabas, these are all examples of people he gave wealth to, but he only gives wealth to people who will follow his purpose. He gives wealth to people who will not allow that wealth to take their heart. To, To people who will not allow their heart to be led by it, but allow their heart to be led by him. See, when it comes down to it, having money is not evil. Having money is not evil, loving it is. That the issue is not having money, it's actually loving it, it's letting it have our hearts. That's bad. Now some people will say and and even teach that that money is evil. That, that's not true. They will say, well, it wasn't part of the original creation and God didn't make money, and so money is something that came as a result of the fall. Again, there's lots of things that we interact with that are a result of the fall that aren't inherently evil. Medicine, planes, phones. But the reality is, money is not evil, it's the love of money. Money is simply a means by which we engage in commerce and exchange. That's all it is. It's not evil. Loving it is evil. Paul talked about this when he wrote to Timothy. He said this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money that's evil. It's the love of it. Because that means it has our heart. It means it's pulling us away from the one who created us, the one who wants to walk beside us. And listen to me, God is not after your money. He's after your heart. And our hearts follow our treasure. You know, one of the ways that Beth and I have been very intentional to make sure that the things that we have, the possessions we have, don't have us, is to be very intentional and timely in giving God whatever He asks. That first starts with giving Him first fruits, the tithe, right off the top. That's just something we have committed to do. We haven't always done that. Haven't always been in a space where we've done that. As a young man, I struggled to really prioritize my own needs and like, I got to take care of this. And if I had excess, then I would give it to God. It took me a while to get to the point where I actually understood that I needed to give to him what was his. I needed to step out in trust to make sure he had my heart and, not, and that make sure my, my possessions, my treasure didn't have my heart. So, Beth and I have made a commitment where well, we do that. We've done this for years. We, we give the first fruits right out of the gate. But here's the deal then we get very intentional in listening for where he wants, to give a, wants us to give even more. And I got to tell you, he always does. Sometimes it's because of a specific need that he brings in front of us. and says, hey, I want you to meet this need. But quite honestly, there are other times where he asks us to give above and beyond just to make sure we're willing to reaffirm that he has our heart, that he has our trust. Because he's not after our money, he's after our heart. And our heart will always follow our treasure. So What? Well, as we try to figure out what we're going to do out of this conversation today, there's a man by the name of John Wesley who was a great theologian, pastor, thinker, influencer of the church, and he he has a quote that I think is really helpful, and I want to encourage you to take it on as maybe a posture in life as you interact and deal with money. Here's what he said, earn all you can, give all you can, save all you can. That's great advice. That's, That's biblical advice. That's the kind of posture that allows us to, to sit in a space where we make sure who has what is actually aligned to what God wants. Money is not evil, loving it actually is. The problem is not having wealth, the problem is wealth having us. Who has what matters? And we can say, in God we trust, in God we trust, and we may want it to be true, we may hope it's true in our life, but not actually live it out. We can say it, words are cheap, but how we live proves it. And one of the ways that I think that we can demonstrate that trust, one of the ways we can even filter and understand are we living trusting in God or in our stuff is to run it through a grid, a grid of three things. And I want to leave them with you as as a means of processing further as you spend time in your own quiet time this week. Here's what they are, is how we get it, how we guard it, and how we give it. Three things to filter a, a conversation about where our trust actually is, who we're placing our trust in, how we get it, how we, how we guard it, and how we give it. Let me just take a moment because this, this helps us make sure we're laying up treasure not on earth but in heaven. But let me talk to you about what I mean. When I talk about how we get it, be willing to ask the question of motive. In whatever you're pursuing in your possessions, in your finances, ask why you're pursuing it. Are you pursuing it because you're finding confidence in it? You're putting your trust in it? You're putting your well-being solely in it? Or are you pursuing it out of obedience to Him to be a good steward, but your trust is still in Him? Your confidence is still in Him? Ask the question of, of the motive behind it, of how you get it. Another part of that is to ask a moral question in how you get it. Are you following the rules and character of God as you do? Or is there something unhealthy? Is there a hint of greed? Is there something that is not reflective of his heart in your pursuit of how you're getting it? And then after the motive and moral question, Be willing to consider the reality that he is the giver of all good things. So everything we have has come through him. Everything we have that is a good gift is from him. And if we think that we have earned it, if we think we have acquired it in our own strength, then we're more likely to hide and hoard it than to to manage it and, and hold it with open hands for his purpose. God does give resources, but he only gives it for his purpose. Consider how you get it. Then consider how you guard it. Once you have it, are you hiding it? Are you hoarding it? Or are you honoring him with it? In the parable we looked at, two servants chose to honor their master, to risk in trust, to risk in faithfulness, to function out of his heart, to function out of his priorities, and to make five into ten, and to make two into four. But one servant, out of fear, didn't. He chose his own priority, he chose his own security, he chose his own safety. In the face of fear, it got really complicated in his world. And I gotta tell you, we can do the same. It's easy to point at him and show what he did wrong, but the truth is we can do the same. When the things of this world creep in and fear and uncertainty and the world's junk, we can start to guard by hoarding and hiding rather than honoring in what we do with what we guard. Be willing to guard and steward well. So ask yourself how you get, how you guard, but third also, ask how you give. How do you give? Our, our God is a generous God. He asks us to give readily, He uh, give generously, to, to give cheerfully. He asks us to do those things. Be willing to give as He gives. Be willing to give understanding that He is the giver of good things. Again, if we think that the stuff we have is only a result of us earning it, us achieving it, then we are more likely to think it's just about us and not recognize His hand, and therefore we hide. We bury. When we recognize that He is the giver of all good gifts, then how we get, how we garden, how we give changes everything. It changes all of that. Be willing to lean into that process of considering how you get, how you garden, how you give. In another part of Scripture, Jesus... Uh, talked and said something that I think frames the who has what matters conversation. It's in Luke. He said this Give away your life, you'll find life given back. But not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Generosity leads to generosity. Th- these are the words of Jesus. They reflect the process of considering how we get, guard, and give. This is how we trust in Him. This is how we demonstrate hope in Him, that we believe Him, taking a posture of generosity in the things that we have. So take time to consider how you get, how you guard, and how you give. There is a right way to store up, there's a right way to lay up treasure. Not with confidence in ourselves but with a confidence in Him, the giver of all good things. When you process through this question of who has what, be willing to place your trust, your dependence, your heart and your finances, your treasure, before Him who is worthy. Trust in Him. The moment you do, the rest of the dynamic around our finances, our heart coming in line with Him, it all starts to change. Be willing to trust in Him. He is not after your money. He's after your heart. Trust Him. Trust Him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank You that even in a world marked by complexity and stress in finances, a world of uncertainty, uh, things go well and not so well, that You love and You lead. I thank You, Jesus, that... No matter what we face, you call us to trust you. You call us to lay before you all of our possessions, open hands, ready to let you work and move. And I pray, Father, that we would each be positioned to let you lead our hearts. That we would treasure and value you more than anything else. God, that we would allow you to to direct our finances. We allow you to direct our steps, our conversations, our influence, our authority. God, you've given us a purpose in life. You have a plan, and it's one to give us hope in a future. It's not to harm us. So as my friends process how they get, how they guard, and how they give, I pray that you would speak. And you would find us to be a people who allow generosity to beget generosity, recognizing your hand and your faithfulness all along the way. So thank you for your great love. Thank you for entrusting us with the opportunity to connect with you. But may you find us to be good and faithful servants who manage what you give us well, Never allowing what we have to have us, but making sure that what we have can be used for you. We love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said.